This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. It's always soccer on a Monday night in Philadelphia, even when the Philadelphia Eagles are playing in the Super Bowl on Sunday night. Yes, it's almost here. Can you believe it? But you, the uh, listener, wanted to have more soccer podcasts and less of the uh, basketball and uh, football talk. So, you know, we decided to do another one this week. It's just me. Just me and Baxter this week. Dave is not here. But we do have a special guest on the line with us for episode number 38 of It's Always Soccer in Philadelphia. Former Philadelphia Union fullback and Bethlehem Steel captain ryan richter's on the phone with us ryan how you been man good and thank you uh thanks for having me on I'm, I'm happy to join you guys no no it's my pleasure you know we have this landline phone here so i figured we'd use it right you know we did this whole <laughs> this whole big thing where we got some people to donate some stuff for the for equipment to the pod so we got to use it right nice well i'm happy uh, that i can be a part of it absolutely well listen the reason i wanted to have you on uh obviously the, you made an announcement on twitter uh, a couple of days ago i guess last week uh, announcing you that you're calling it quits on your playing days and that you are retiring uh to move on to the next phase uh in life uh whatever that is uh so i just want to say congratulations have you on pick your brain a little bit and ask you about it uh so tell me what uh what went into the decision to retire uh what's coming up next and uh how, how did that process unfold yeah well first of all thank you um you know, I, I know we've uh, we've crossed paths for I guess like six or seven years now, and I've always followed you pretty closely and enjoyed your takes on the team and kind of MLS and stuff in general. But uh, but yeah, you know, for me it was um, it, it was a life decision. You know, it wasn't just about soccer. Um, there's a, there's a mess for the people who don't know. There's a mess going on in in the second division in U.S. soccer right now that made things a lot more difficult for guys. They were my situation playing for an NASL club, and um, with that going on, I think I know for myself. I know a lot of guys started to look at other options, and for me, an, an amazing option came up: coaching. That uh, I can't speak about at the moment because it's not official, but um, you know, an opportunity came up for me. That's something that I'm really excited about, and you know, I had to had to take that decision, the tough decision to to hang up the boots and and uh, start my coaching career. So when you, uh, when that decision or when that news does go official, you'll let us know first. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me ask you that. Cause you mentioned, um, you know, obviously the uncertainty at the NASL level and the USL level, uh, the, the sanctioning that's going on, trying to figure out who's division two, who's division three, that whole mess. Um, you know, I, I guess my question for you would be, you know, we always talk about it in the media and as fans as sort of, you know, we poke fun at the pro rel people, you know, and we talk about the competition between the leagues and stuff like that. But I think we kind of lose sight of the fact that there's a human element to this, is there not? You know, it's guys like you. Yeah. I think of Mike LaHood down there in Miami, uh, you know, wondering just what the hell's going on and when they're going to be on the field again. Um, I mean, just what what is it? What's that like as a player just going through that? Yeah, it's tough. Um, you know, it's, there's, uh, there's so much uncertainty, and it's like things that, you really have no control over it all. Um, and that's the part that, that's frustrating because, you know, NASL is a good level of soccer. That's the one thing 
I will say is um, if you look at the level on the field, it's a, it's a really good level. And it's a good option for guys like myself, veteran players who have, um, you know, who have had a bit of a career already and, and have kind of established themselves a bit. Um, maybe couldn't really break into an MLS team the way they would have liked or maybe not played as much as they would have um, or, you know, for various different reasons, not at the MLS level. Um, but it's still, it was still a good level. And it, it was an option for, for veteran players to, you know, extend their career as a place to play, whereas USL, I think, it, it is, more, is more set for the development of players and younger players just with some of the things in place. Um, it just doesn't make it possible for, for really for guys with families and stuff like that to, uh, it's not a viable option for, for them as players. Um, you know, that being said, I think, I think USL has done an amazing job to grow their league. Um, and took advantage of, you know, a lot of mistakes that NASL had made over the past couple of years. Um, but, you know, all that business stuff, like you said, the thing that gets lost is kind of, you know, the well-being of the players and, you know, guys have families and stuff like that. Lucky enough for myself, I, I've been given a great opportunity to start my coaching career and I kind of go right into that. But um, for a lot of guys who don't have the education background or educational background or really anything else, it's, it's a tough, tough moment in their career. Ryan, let me ask you kind of a two-part thing here. Number one, you know, as, as an athlete, you know that your career is not going to be as long as the uh, average uh, journalist or banker or salesperson or something, right? So you probably have to start thinking about retirement and think about what comes after soccer a little bit earlier than more people. Um, wh- when was that time for you, and what, what were those thoughts like? And uh, did, did you know that you wanted to get into coaching? Yeah, well, I, I've always uh... – you know, I've always had the eye on that, that I wanted to, um, that that's what I wanted to get into after I was done playing. I didn't know how long my career would last. I never would imagine it would last seven years. Um, of course, I wish, you know, I could play ten more. But uh, but right now, for me, the best option was going to coaching. And it's something I've kind of stayed stayed in touch with um, through all the off-seasons. I've been involved in uh, a few programs with the, with the Union Academy and, and some of the stuff that they've gone on there and, and done a lot of things with local clubs um, in the Philly area over the years that have kind of made me realize that that's, that's something I was sure of, is that that's what I want to do for, you know, for my post-playing career. Um, so I've always kind of had my eye on that, and, and now it's, uh, it's time to, you know, take, try to take it as far as possible. You know, I, I look at your, your career path, and it was a very unique one, and it was a very interesting one. You played at a lot of different levels in a lot of different places, uh, MLS, NASL, uh, USL. Uh, you were in Ocean City to start your career. Um, let's just go piece by piece here. I mean, Ocean City, from LaSalle to Ocean City, and then to that first run uh, with the Union, where I think then you went on loan to Harrisburg briefly. Can you just talk about those early years uh, coming out of LaSalle and, and what your first couple years as a pro were like? Yeah, um, I mean, it was it was such a huge, you know, a huge difference in, in level. Like something that I wasn't ready for, if I'm being honest. Um, I remember the first week of training with the union was like I didn't know I I didn't know how to move with the ball moving that quick. It was it was crazy how how different the level of you know not only college but Atlantic Ten college compared to um, compared to MLS level was. Um, that's why I think it's something so amazing right now is what the Union have with Bethlehem Steel. Um, if they had that when I was when I was starting my career, it could have been, you know, I, I, I hopefully would have gotten 30 games that year and 
and been really ready for the next season to contribute at MLS level. Um, unfortunately, we had Harrisburg, but it wasn't a really a great affiliation. I think I only went to play one game that year. Um, it wasn't until the following year that they really made that connection, um, a, a sound one where guys were getting you know 15, 20 games there. <laughs> but uh, but yeah. So then after the union, I. I I played one professional game after my, my first year. It was an amazing experience to be home. Uh, to you know, so many people I know, you know, knew that I was with the union and that I got drafted, and and uh, it was a really cool moment and something that I was proud of. But at the same time, I didn't really advance my career because I didn't get any games that first year. You know, and it wasn't only you two. I think when you look back at the early days of uh, Zach Pfeffer and Christian Hernandez and. Uh, Jimmy McLaughlin, a lot of that first wave of, of guys who were like you who came through from college through, I mean, you weren't a homegrown signing, but you know what I mean, that kind of cluster of young, yeah. young guys who needed minutes. I mean, did, do you feel like that was a big reason why a lot of guys kind of slipped through the cracks because there just there just wasn't anywhere for them to go, no minutes for them to play? For sure. I mean, that's such a huge part of developing as a pro is you have to play games. You know, you have to be given that chance and you have to you have to be allowed to make your mistakes. And that's something that it's tough because if you're the head coach of a team you know those mistakes can cost you games which ultimately can cost you your job so it's a, it's it's a tough decision to, to make um but at the same time that's why you know what us what usl and mls has done is amazing um for the mls2 teams it allows them to develop players in a pro environment get actual meaningful games and while the level is still in my opinion very far off of what mls level is it they are pro game um and it's something that you're working towards something during the week. You know, you're not working towards watching a game on the weekend. You're working towards playing a game and improving on the weekend. And that makes a huge difference in a young player's development. So how did you end up uh, with Charleston then for the 2012 season? Yeah, so I went, um, like I said, I hadn't played any games. So I needed to go down to the USL level and get a season of, of playing games. So I think that year I played I played every game for Charleston. I, I played 30 games. Got them in as a pro. We won the USL championship. Um, I started most, of, pretty much every game for the season. Um, started in the final, and like that experience to me, like that, that was something I needed so desperately in my, in my career. I needed that year of thirty games. Um, find out what it's about week in week out to get yourself ready and to perform at that perform at a level um, on the weekend. You know, like I said the year before. I miss that. I, I miss that that year of development, and that's why I look at it now. Like, if there was something like that fun steal, maybe that year I would have been ready to, to step into MLS for the next season, rather than having to go to USL to get those games and, and improve as a player and, and more just like as a professional. So from Charleston, then, and, and let me make sure I get the timeline straight here. You went to Toronto from Charleston, right? But but Greg Vanny wasn't yeah. there yet, right? Was was Ryan Nelson your coach at TFC, and how'd you end up there? Yeah, so it was Ryan Nelson. It's actually a funny story. I uh, so I went to preseason trial with DC that year. Um, right, right. And I, and I was doing well. Um, you know, I was with them pretty much the whole time until the the last friendly that they had for for the preseason. Um, we played against Toronto, and I had I had a pretty good game. Uh, I thought I thought I did well. I thought for sure I was signing. Ben Olsen pulls me in, and after and the post game meal and says, "Listen, you know we like you. We think you're, we fit well with the team, but we don't have a spot for you." And that simple. I was like, "Okay, I guess you know I'm going to go back to the USL level, 
do that for a couple more years and then, you know, call quits early, try to get in, get in the coaching right away. Um, three days later, so I, I come back from, to Philly from D.C., drive back down to Charleston. The day I get to Charleston, I get a call from Toronto. Hey, we, play, we played against you in the friendly. We really like you. We want you to come three or four days. We'll let you know right away if we want to sign you. At that point, I just spent two months with, with D.C. on trial, and I just the last thing I wanted to hear was trial. So I was like, you know what, I don't really know if I want to come. That's the truth. I don't know if I feel like flying to Toronto to train for three days and, you know, when the season had just about started at that point. So I went, I went, decided to go anyway. Went three days later. They signed, they told me when they signed me. I fly back to Charleston, drive straight to Philly, drive straight to Toronto after that. And, uh, and yeah, and then I had two, two really good years in Toronto where, um, I grew a lot as a player and I learned so much. The coach, the two coaches I played for there were fantastic and they're so different, but, but really like taught you so much. Like Ryan Nelson taught me so much as a defender. Um, and Greg Vanny with his, with his tactics and, and his planning, um, I really learned a lot from both of them. That's a cool story, man. Thanks for sharing that. I think you know that that element that's kind of lost on uh, on fans and and um, and the media too. I mean, we don't normally get to you know we we hear some of the stories about yeah, I was on trial here and then I went here and then I was on trial here, but you know the the driving back and forth and the uncertainty and uh, you know just knowing that an opportunity can sort of pop up anywhere, uh, maybe yeah. not even the team you're with, but the team that watches you. You know. Yeah, exactly. It was you know something I, I was so down about this, you know, that because I thought I had performed well in the preseason. I thought I was signing with D.C. I was so down about it that I was almost turned down the opportunity, which led to me going back to the MLS level. So I remember, I think I ran into you in, I would say it was like 2014 or 2015 or something like that. It was it was January. I remember it was like up at YSC or something. And, um, you know, I just asked you what was going on at the time. And you mentioned that you were going back to, that you thought you were going to go to Ottawa uh, on a on a full uh, transfer this time. I think you were there on loan the year before, right? Yeah, yeah. So I went um, for about half the season. I was going. I was back and forth from Toronto and Ottawa, but played about half the games that year. So, what was the experience like in Ottawa, and and what made you want to come back and, and play for Bethlehem then? Because you, at the time, Ottawa was still playing at NASL, right? And then Steel was going to be an yeah. expansion USL team. So, did you have op- an option to stay with? Uh, to stay with Ottawa, and what made you want to come home? Um, well, first of all, uh, my year in Ottawa was incredible. The team was was fantastic. The coach was unbelievable. Um, the best the best coach that I've ever seen, for sure, Mark DeSantos. He's uh, he's an assistant with LAFC now, but he's absolutely incredible, and he's he's uh, he's definitely going to get a shot at an MLS soon. But um, but yeah, after that season. Um, I had another year on my contract in Ottawa, but the coach was leaving. A lot of the players were leaving because, it, you know, a lot of us had offers from other teams at NASL and and uh, a few guys in MLS um, just because we had done so well that year. And I looked at it. My wife was pregnant, and we wanted to come home. Um, I knew I had an opportunity with the MLS team here, so I, I took the chance. I, and I spoke to Brendan, who I knew from my, my previous stop with Philly. He was an assistant at that time. Yeah. Um, and, and me and him always got on really well. Um, and, you know, I decided the next, that was kind of the next step was to come home, be the captain of Bethlehem Steel, hopefully get a shot with the MLS team. And then, uh, and then, yeah, move, and then move on from there and, and really try to settle with the, with the organization here and, and, and take that again, take that as far as I could. 
Ryan, you mentioned, you know, the, the first time around with Philadelphia, there, there just were no minutes, you know, there was nowhere to go. Um, obviously steel changed everything there. Um, what, what else was different with Philadelphia at the time? What, what, what was, what was your different, what was the difference in, um, in, in going from Peter Novak and John Hackworth and, and Rob Vartusian to, to Brendan Burke and, uh, and, and Jim Curtin and all the other guys who were associated with the club in 2016? Yeah, it was, uh, it was night and day, man. So from the coaching, coaching staff, um, you know, there was, uh, there were some really good guys in the coaching staff in, in 2011, but, um, you know, Peter just had a little bit different of a, of a way to kind of connect with his players and was pretty <laughs> cool and, and didn't give you much of, of his personality yeah. as a player, especially the young guys. But, uh, but as a club, I mean, everything changed. You know, I think 2011, our weight room was under one of the, you remember it, it was under the, the stands, like fenced off under the stands outside. <laughs> And now they have a you know five million dollar training complex, which is it's the state of the art. You know it's it's unbelievable. They have the training fields now compared to when we used to bus twenty minutes to Chester Park to train. Yeah, right. Um, right. So the the club has just taken some amazing steps forward uh, as far as you know the investment and kind of just just in every aspect. And you know Jim and Jim and Brendan are both both fantastic coaches and great people. And and the one thing that you know that I'll take in my coaching career that I got from Brendan that, that I always loved is he, he is just completely honest with every one of his players. You know, some coaches, when you ask them, you know, ask them kind of like how you're doing and see where you're at, they'll kind of beat around the bush. But, but Brendan's completely honest with you, and that's something I think that all players respect. And, you know, that's something he realizes when someone asks you a question, they want to hear the truth. Um, so it's, it's uh, you know, I think, I think the organization right now is in, is in a really good place, a really exciting place. Um, and they're figuring out ways to to compete and and try to make it work with the resources that they have. So the transfer to the Cosmos, then, um, how, how did that come about, and what what were the discussions like, and what was your thought process at the time, as if to, uh, you know, as, as far as doing that or not doing that? Yeah, so um, I had spoken with the Cosmos at the end of the. Um, 2015 season as well before I went to Bethlehem and we were trying to get a deal done but ultimately I decided um, Ottawa wasn't going to let me go to another team in NASL because I still had another year on my contract they were going to ask for a, a transfer fee that wouldn't have been matched by an NASL team but they were happy to let me go to Bethlehem because it was coming home and you know what it meant to me other than soccer wise and it was a different league um, so you know I was 27 at the time and that was kind of not the, the really the mold of, of what um, Bethlehem was. And I realized that, and um, I think the coaching staff realized that. And and uh, while I was ha- while I was happy, you know, being home and, and competing in, with Bethlehem, that that was more about development. You know, it's about more about pushing guys through to the first team and giving guys opportunities, not really for veteran players to kind of try to win games. Um, to be frank and. And uh, I was craving a bit more, you know. And, and for me, Cosmos were the best team, Division Two team in the country. If, if you could, if I could show you the quality that we had in that team, um, it, it was on par with a lot of MLS clubs. So that that opportunity came up at that time of the year. It, it was something that I had to take, even though it meant leaving an organization that meant so much to me and um, a place where me and my family were really happy. And and luckily, we we uh, we were able to work something out where. You know, 
we were all on the same page. No, no uh, one's feelings were hurt, and and everyone kind of got what they wanted. The union got uh, the transfer fee that they wanted, and I was able to go compete at, at what I thought at the time was a higher level. Yeah, it's interesting that the transfer, how you mentioned it, it's almost like the old, uh, you know, in Inter Milan is probably not going to transfer somebody to AC Milan, right? But if you, right, if, yeah. you if you spend a year at uh, you know, Fiorentina beforehand, maybe it makes the jump uh, <laughs> a little easier. Right, exactly, yeah. <laughs> the price is different when, uh, when you know, when Cosmo calls Ottawa than when Bethlehem Steel calls Ottawa. They uh, they kind of think they, they know they can get more out of Cosmo, so they're going to force them to pay more. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Well, listen, Ryan, I'm going to wrap it up in a couple minutes, but I want to ask you just a, a series of sort of like quick hitters here just to uh, get, um, you know, s- some answers to just some uh, – so some career-related questions, if you don't mind. Um, sure. Let's go down the list here. I think you actually probably might have answered this in another answer, but uh, who was your favorite coach to play for? Favorite coach, I'd have to say Mark DeSantos. Uh, he's a, in Ottawa. He's the assistant of LAFC now. Uh, why Why Mark DeSantos? I've heard a lot of people say a lot of good things about him. What was it about him specifically? Um, he has, his character is incredible. His, his preparation is incredible. And uh, you should his team his teams will run through a brick wall for him. You should say it. It's you, you can't explain it unless you, unless you work with him. Who was your favorite team to play for? The Union, for sure. That was uh, you know the organization that that I care about most was the Union organization. Who was uh, who was your favorite teammate to play with? My favorite teammate to play with, I have to say, Michael Farfan. This guy. He, everything just came so natural to him that um, it, it, it was incredible to me. And you know, I, I hope that he's trying to get back into the game now, so I hope that it works out for him after he took a, a year off last year. Absolutely. Um, who was the toughest opponent you played against? Toughest opponent? Well, I mean, I played against Thierry Henry, and he, he was uh, some other kind of athlete. I never saw anything like this. So to me, I have to say Henry number one. Uh, of all the teams that you played against, uh, which one did you respect the most? Which one? In NASL, to be honest with you, I uh, I always, when I played against Cosmos, that game always meant more to me. I don't know why. Um, it, it was just like the history that the club has, and you know, my my parents had always, my parents and grandparents went to games when they were younger. So it was, Cosmos always like the history that that club carried. I always always. Met. What's one thing that you wish the media and the fans paid more attention to? One thing that is a good question. Sort of some uh, some some self help here because I, I I need to kind of take a step back every so often. <laughs> yeah. Think think about it from other people's uh, perspectives, you know. Yeah, I think that um, you know that is a really tough question. But I think that they have to understand that that. Um, as far as players go, you know, you a coach signs a player signs a player for a specific role. So sometimes, or the coach doesn't, the coach tries to fit a player into to a role that he is not capable of, or the player is trying to play a way that he is not capable of. So, for example, if you have a, a fantastic center back who is has played in a four-four-two his whole life, and he like right now you see Benucci struggling with AC Milan in a two-center back system. 
Well, he played with three center backs for the last five years. So now it's different to him. He's a fantastic center back in a three center back system. But in the two center back system, it's a completely different game, isn't it? And um, that's just a quality player. And now people are down on him. But a quality player who's not playing in the role that he is a world-class player at. That's a good answer. That's nuance. It's a lot of stuff that uh, that I feel like it's hard to kind of understand that if you didn't play the game too, you know. And I don't, I don't like, right, yeah. I, don't, I don't like being one of those people who's like, well, you played or you didn't play or whatever. But I, I think it's probably the same as anything. No matter what job you do in your in your life, if you're a specialist at something or you're familiar with something, obviously, if they take you and try to make you do something different, it's just not going to be the same, right? Right. Yeah. And I, I'm with you too. I don't think, you know, I think people can have brilliant opinions that have never touched the ball. Um, but at the same time, like there, there are things like like that that you know maybe you wouldn't see the first time around. You know what I mean? Yeah. If I'm a, if I'm a right back and uh, you want you want to attack down the wing, you know I'll fit differently than than someone else. If you look at that, doesn't mean he's a better player. But in one system, I'll really thrive. In another system, I won't do. I won't really thrive. Yeah, you know, I remember I've been playing Casa League for like nine years or whatever, and I I played like, I played like center back in D mid my entire life, and then I joined another team that played like uh, played three five two, and they tried yeah. I tried I tried playing as a wing back for like the first time in my entire life. <laughs> it was yeah. like it was like the hardest damn thing I've ever done, man. Because you're just like you know even like spots on the field too. I'm not used to being on the t- on the touchline. You know, I'm not used to operating right, in that yeah. kind of space. I think that I think it's important too, and I think we talk about that a lot where. You know, uh, is is Tyler Adams a ten? Is he an eight? Is he a six and stuff like that? I I think it's it's interesting to hear you say that because I think that that nuance is just really important. Right. Yeah. Like like you said, a good example for me is that I played a couple games in a three five two at right wing back, and I was absolutely stinking. And it just that doesn't mean I'm a bad player. Just that system, I I'm not meant to play that position. Yeah, you and me both, man. All right, final <laughs> f- final question for you. Uh, where did the Twitter handle come up? Uh, come from? Where did Where did you get that? Sh- uh, Shaq Aldini. Where did that come from? Shaq Aldini. Well, Shaq has always been my favorite athlete. He's always been top dog for me. But when Twitter came out, like I knew it was for athletes, and I, I thought that it was for like athletes and stuff. So I got the Twitter as soon as I got drafted. That was like my first thing. I, athletes need to have a Twitter. And then I thought it was like you have to have like a screen name, you know, like make up something clever, and Came up with Shaq Aldino, and then I realized I'm the only guy who doesn't just use his first and last name as the Twitter handle. Well, as long as you promise us that you'll keep the uh, the Shaq Aldino Twitter handle uh, for the next phase of your career, I think we'll be fine <laughs> with that. Yeah, I will. That's not good anyway. Cool. Ryan, listen, man, uh, it was good having you on. Thanks for uh, spending some time. Uh, congratulations again on the on the excellent career. You know, it, it's it's. I see a lot of... Uh, great little stories here in your career path from USL to MLS to NASL uh, back and forth and you know proving some people wrong at, at one point and hopefully proving yourself right too and uh, I hope it was uh, I hope you can look back on your career and uh, and see it as a success thank you man I really appreciate that and uh, it's definitely something I'm proud of but you know, a lot of people put, put work in that and it wasn't just ever about me Beautiful man. Thanks for taking the time. Don't be a stranger. I'm sure we'll uh, we'll see you around town. All right. All right. Sounds good, Kevin. Thanks, uh, thanks brother. Yep. Anytime. All right. Let's uh, swing it now to your questions, comments, and concerns. Michael Cardamone says, "How much playing time do you expect the young academy prospects? Uh, Fontana, Jones, Trusty, Real, McKenzie, 
to get this season, and do you expect uh, any of them to maybe win a starting spot by the season's end? Talked about it a little bit last week with Dave. Um, you know, Fontana, and I'll throw Najem in there too, probably stuck behind El Senio right now at the number 10. Uh, and if they go get another 10, they'll be stuck behind that guy too. Uh, Derek Jones, same conundrum as last year with Bedoya and uh, Madunian in, you know, in those two spots with El Senio, I guess, playing in front of them. So unless they, you know, flip that triangle, um, you know, the way they did at the end of last year, that's the only way you can get Jones, uh, Harris, and, and Ollie on the field at the same time. Uh, Austin Trusty, I don't know. They got to start doing something with him. I, you know, Matty Real, I think if he's the backup uh, left back to Fabinho this year, I think that you would try to give him a, another run of steel games with Gaddis being the, the one guy off the bench for the senior team. And then if you have an injury there, I think Real gets on the bench from there. McKenzie, Bethlehem, you should play every Bethlehem steel game. Uh, Austin Trusty, I guess he's the second, um, you know, LCB uh, behind Richie Marquez right now because the starting pair, I guess you would say, is Jack Elliott uh, and, and Marquez. And then Elliott at RCB behind him would be Yarrow, and LCB behind Marquez would be um, would be Austin Trusty right now. So they got to find some room for these guys. Um, Josh, uh, mu- musician Josh says, where are these guys going to fall on the depth chart? Uh, yeah, I just went over that. Are they going to be making the game the game day squad going to be kicking them back and forth? It's going to be back and forth between Bethlehem, I think. You know, um, and that's not a bad thing. I mean, that's what they do everywhere. Uh, you know, minor league baseball, major league baseball, um, you know, foreign teams. I, I if if you have the minutes at Bethlehem, like like Ryan just said, use them. You know, Jason says, is it possible to build an identity focusing on academy players and playing young and cheap in this new MLS era where teams are spending seven figures on players? Uh, no. No, it's not. But, you know, as, as Dave and I have said, it's, it's, it's a complimentary thing, right? You know, if you have, you know, academy players, you know, three or four of them in your starting lineup with maybe two DPs, you know, a TAM foreign signing, uh, a draft pick, you know, and, and whatever other mechanism you can, you can throw in there, uh, you know, that's basically how Toronto built their squad, did they not? They had three DPs. They had a draft pick. They had a guy from the Chivas dispersal draft. Um, they had a TAM level signing in there. Um, and I think they had a homegrown on the field too, if you count Jonathan Asurio, right? So it's it's not just about that. They got to go down all these avenues, right? Doopy Brothers, why do these? Why do the players call Herber's cheese? <laughs> I, don't, I have no clue. Do they call him that? Is that a new thing? We'll have to ask. Uh, we'll have to get him on the podcast. And if you had a food nickname, what would it be? I would be Cinnamon Buns. <laughs> Uh, um, what would what would I be if I had a food nickname? I don't know. What am I like really into lately? It would probably be like something taco related. Uh, rolled rolled chicken tacos at Taco Bell. How about that? Uh, CJ says, can you explain the DP rule and who exactly decided if a player on your target list is high profile? Uh, I'm thinking about Zlatan Ibrahimovic being on the used whiteboard at one point. Oh, uh, yeah, that whole thing with Taylor where we were trying to figure out, I guess, uh, you know, if there was some threshold for, for DPs or whatever, if a certain team had that much money. I, I don't know. I guess Garber, whoever the hell at, at MLS headquarters, makes it up on the fly. I mean, they're still making up stuff on the fly. By the way, Zlatan, I like. I mean, the guy's 36 at this point. I there's LA's had a nice offseason. Don't junk it up with signing Ibra. Uh, what's the most likely CB pairing from Justin Friedberg? I guess right now it's uh, Elliot Marquez. Don, say the union finally paved their parking lot. Are they a more valuable, <laughs> a more viable franchise? 
Did he mean to say valuable there? Honestly, Miami MLS brings another billionaire owner. Yeah, the Miami thing was today, huh? Could Comcast buying the franchise make the union turn this money ball shit on its head? Yeah, but, you know, look at what Comcast is doing right now. They just bought uh, the Wings, Philadelphia Wings, and then they have the uh, the Fusion, too, the Overwatch League. And uh, people are really into that, you know? People are into esports, man. I mean, like, they got people showing up to their, their watch parties and uh, watching their games online and stuff like that, you know? I, I don't know... Uh, where soccer falls on the Comcast radar right now. But I, I think, you know, if, if union ownership situation uh, really got bad, like really, really bad, worse than it is now, I I would, if I was MLS, I'd sit down with uh, with Dave, whatever the hell his name is from Comcast, and say, look, what do you think about having an MLS team and an NWSL team at the same time? Because Comcast got enough money for everything. Are you kidding me? Uh, Mike, Mike Yarm says, uh, who do you have the most faith in at the CB spots? Yeah, uh, Elliot and, and uh, Marquez at this point, I guess. You know, they're going to need, I mean, this is kind of like the redemption year, is it not? Because if they really don't make any more moves, they're kind of banking on Keegan and Marquez to kind of shake off, you know, the slumps, I guess, that they had last year. Because if you go back to 2016, Keegan started 34 games and Richie Marquez started 33. Uh, so that's 60 seven out of 68 they started like 98.9 percent of the possible games the only game that uh marcus didn't start was in the season opener in dallas when anderson remember that anderson started alongside ken tribbett against dallas in dallas so you know i, I think they're putting a lot of stock in basically three-fourths of the back line kind of rediscovering 2016 form are they not keegan richie marquez Fabinho and throw Josh Yarrow in there too. I mean, I, I again, I place the depth chart based on right-footed and left-footed. And as Ryan was saying earlier in the podcast, you know, when you put people at different positions, even if it's just one center back side to the other center back side, uh, it makes a big deal. Like I, I don't think people really realize that when I played center back in Casa League, you know, when you do a lot of, uh, you notice it a lot uh, in your backtracking, for example. Like if there's a ball that's played over my head uh, and I'm at the right center back. You know, I'm tracking back and I'm and I'm trying to hit the ball with my left foot, my weak foot, back to the goalkeeper, right? Or I'm clearing it up the line with my strong foot on my right. Now, if I'm playing left center back and the ball's knocked over my head and into the corner, I'm playing it back to the goalkeeper on my strong right foot, or I'm trying to shank it up the field with my weak left foot. So, you know, that's stuff that people don't pay attention to. And if you watch Jack Elliott last year when he played a little bit of left center back, uh, he wasn't his passing just wasn't as sharp. You know, the angles are different. Uh, your body's opened in, in different ways. Uh, so, I mean, that's why I divide the depth chart as I do into left and right-sided center back because I think that's more important than people realize. Craig says, are we sure the union aren't on double-secret p- probation? Jay said he was going to spend yet nothing. Well, he didn't say he was going to spend his own money. Spent the league's money so far. You know, they really haven't dipped into the discretionary part of the TAM yet. Uh, Ezra's Bagel Bistro says, do you know anything about the kid who was featured on the kit reveal? Uh, yeah, he's an academy kid. I forget what his name is. Um, ask Matt Ralph. He probably knows. Uh, also, is he your special guest? No, he was not the special guest. Garrett says, should MLS contracts and salaries be more transparent and readily available to the public? Yes. Like they are in every other American pro league, yes. Or is it just the way the soccer world operates? No, it's not the way the soccer world operates. It's the way the MLS world operates. And, uh, you know, when I go, when I rail on pro rel, and I probably should have included this in that epic column that I wrote a while back, 
but a lot of the improvements can just be made by getting rid of a lot of the archaic shit that MLS does, you know? So let's fix what we have first before we start talking about throwing everything uh, into the crapper uh, for, for a pro rel system just so uh, Joe Schmo in Albany, New York, or wherever the hell he is, can can get a free seat at the table. Uh, Union Steel Rumors says, thoughts on the whole Lee Wynn situation and should players have to honor their contracts they signed? Um, well, I mean, Kyle Aaron didn't really honor anything he signed, if you believe what's going on down there. Uh, he showed up in, at Besiktas with... <laughs> You know, training or whatever. I think they just signed Wagner Love too, didn't they? So what the hell is he going to play? Is he going to go on loan to some like bumfuck Turkey? Play against Raiyus and Bully probably. Uh, Lee Win. I mean, look. Uh, I don't feel bad for for Burns or the Revs or anybody up there because they they've had like chances to be good and you know put a couple superstars around him. And while they do have some talent up there, Juan Agadello. Um, um, Diego uh, Fagundes is up there. You know, the year that they had Jermaine Jones and Jose Gonzalez and, and Kellen Rowe. I mean, it, you know, the lack of ambition to get them over the top. I know they went to MLS Cup, but, you know, they never – it felt like that was a team that could have got over the hump and they didn't, you know. Uh, so I don't – I mean, should they have to honor the contracts? I don't know. You know, coaches can go anywhere they want at any time, you know. Um, and if, if the revs are going to learn that if a dude doesn't want to be here, he doesn't want to be here, just cut your losses and get what you can for him right now. Cause what's the best, what's what you play hardball with him and he comes back to camp later. Um, you know, Sam Bradford didn't want to be here and eventually he came back and they traded him anyway. So whatever, uh, will the union, this is from Nick. Will the union ever sign a number 10? Probably not. And Teppo's dad says, A-con. I don't know what that means. But that's a good place to wrap it up. So thank you for joining us during Super Bowl week. Uh, Dave, uh, we'll do another one hopefully next week, I think, when the team does their first scrimmage or two scrimmages, I think, uh, down in Florida because we'll get our first look at uh, David Akam as a – you know, playing 11 v 11 and see where they put him and see how he fits and whatnot. Uh, otherwise, I'm just not really that excited right now because they've upgraded one starting spot from a team last year that was not good enough to get into the playoffs. But we shall see what happens. Until then, Kevin and Baxter joining you on episode number 38 of It's Always Soccer in Philadelphia. Thanks to our special guest, Ryan Richter, for jumping on. We'll have him on again sometime. And thank you, everybody, for listening. Peace. <laughs>